You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. All right, and here we go. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Joined to my right, the one, the only, as always, Ryan Shumpert. Ryan, I'll go ahead and let you do the honors. We got somebody in front of us this time. Yes, well, Rick, you did a great job on the last podcast. I guess, yeah, I guess it was the last podcast yeah, last week. It's been a minute. Introducing our newest teammate uh, over at Rocky Top Insider, and he, we got him here with us today. He's in the building! He is in the building. You don't have to wait any longer. You've probably read a couple of his pieces over the last, I guess, what's been two weeks now, really. Yeah. Um, and... We're really, really happy to have him with us today, Mr. Jack Foster. How you doing? Dude, I'm doing fantastic. I'm so happy to be here. You guys can tell I'm smiling ear to ear. This has been something I've been looking forward to for a while, getting on these airways with you guys, so couldn't be happier. Yeah, man. We got a lot to get into today. Obviously, it's early December. No, it's mid-December. Hold on. Uh, I I got something right here. Hold on. What's he got? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Oh, my gosh. Um, He's in the spirit. Yep. Going to break it out for today. Gonna break out my Dallas Cowboys Santa Claus hat. How you like that? Uh, I, did you never take it out of your car after the Tennessee media Christmas game? Oh, That's my no, guess as no. to how that got here. Okay, fine. Maybe it was in the back seat. Maybe I noticed it when I was grabbing my rain jacket to come in today. But either way, I'm trying to get in the festive spirit, trying to get in the Christmas spirit, or holidays, or however you're celebrating at the end of the month. Yeah, certainly, and uh, a little football Christmas combo and. This is completely off of the Tennessee sports topic, but I love how the NFL is starting. Uh, I think they did some last year and then obviously more this year where games on Christmas. I mean, everyone talks about the NBA being being a Christmas holiday. I don't care about NBA games <laughs> on, on Christmas. Give me the NFL, yeah. the Shield, taking over and forcing its will, and that's that's exactly what we're, we're starting to get, I think. So are, are there going to be games on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day? Yes. I mean, Because I, I, like, I know – Dallas and Philadelphia play on Christmas Eve. Does that are there also games that are running into Christmas Day? It's, it's most, Sunday. Right? Most games are on Christmas Eve. The Saturday is going to serve as the Sunday. Then we have, a th- I believe, three games on Christmas Day. Oh, that's yeah. so yeah. And Saturday triple headers start this weekend, guys. So yeah, can't Woo! be more excited about that. Going home, going to watch some watch some football and sit on the couch. You know how it is. So hey, I, I love that time of season when when we roll into NFL. NFL can stretch from the whole weekend, right? Because we're missing that college football a little bit. But then all of a sudden, bowl season comes out of nowhere. Now you just have football everywhere, right, for for a small little stretch, and then it'll completely go away. But nonetheless, it, it makes for a, a very fun little run right here. Uh, it's definitely, and I especially always find it funny, like this early part of bowl season where I guess going from Saturday on, we'll just have, like, games every day and at the most random times that you and the most random teams, but uh, almost always have uh, football on. Yeah. Have you guys done any kind of pickums yet, or, or anything for the whole bowl slate? I have not. Um, I need to do my confidence picks. Yeah, no, I haven't done anything for the whole bowl slate. Uh, I was on a podcast yesterday, and they had had me do some of the earlier picks for some of the earlier bowl games. So I didn't even know some of those bowl game matchups until I was doing that yesterday. <laughs> but uh, I I got some picks in for for the earlier ones, but I, I need to go in and, and go do a full, I guess, the ESPN bowl challenge on. Uh, 
on ESPN. Yeah, we yeah. got we got a good game coming up Friday afternoon. Troy and UTSA, some ranked that teams. That is a good one. I'll I'll be looking forward to okay, that. Okay, a couple of head coaches right there that were nominated for the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year. Uh, at least they were finalists for the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year. So I certainly remember them, and I think even some Tennessee fans that have been keeping up with this award season and some of these recognitions, they will also know some of those coaches. As yeah, both of those teams had. Uh, phenomenal years. And UTSA comes to Knoxville next next year for a yes. non-conference game. Yeah. So uh, that's definitely a better, you know, kind of mid-major small program that Tennessee's faced in really many years. Uh, I guess that Georgia State team to beat them ended up having a pretty good season too. So uh, that should be fun next fall and a chance for a team or Tennessee fans to get a little bit of an early scouting report on the Roadrunners. Yeah, I don't know if people like fully understand yet that UTSA is maybe coming into town next year, or maybe they just haven't They're you know, feisty. put two and two they together, are. that they are a, a quality back back team years. and a good program, uh, but certainly that's going to be an exciting one for next year. Guys, again, welcome into the Rocky Top Pins that are Press Pass podcast today. Obviously, a lot of housekeeping to get out of the way at first, but let me also go ahead and just say this. You know, obviously, you know, Ryan and I, we were very constant during the football season the last couple of weeks, little bit, a uh, little bit less consistent I should say and and I will take some of the blame for that right there's been sickness going around there's been personal stuff going around but man it feels great to be back at the table with you guys talking a little Tennessee athletics and like we mentioned at the top of the show today there are a lot of things to get into what do you say we start with the big news well there's actually a couple big news that have happened today. The biggest news. Yeah, on Wednesday, <laughs> but we'll go with the biggest news, and that is Tennessee wide receiver and uh, 2022 Bolitnikoff winner Jalen Hyatt has officially announced that he will be entering his name into the NFL draft. He is going to be preparing for that draft coming up in the next couple months, and in that preparation, he will not be playing in the Orange Bowl. Here is what he said at the end of a long Instagram post. After careful consideration with my family, I have decided to begin preparing for the 2023 NFL draft. Though I will not be playing in the Orange Bowl, I will be there in Miami to support my teammates like I always have. Ryan, were you ex- were, were you surprised by this decision when it came out today? No, I wasn't. Um, I think it was maybe more of a decision than I even initially expected. I mean, I think when the regular season was coming to a close, it was, to me, just a foregone conclusion that Jalen Hyatt was was going to go pro and this was going to be his last year at Tennessee. It didn't feel like that in in recent weeks as much, that it it did feel like Jalen Hyatt actually was making a decision and it wasn't just a lay down. But still, uh, to me, it felt like the right move for Jalen Hyatt. I think he has a chance to go late in the first round, um, but... Certainly with the instability at quarterback, or I guess instability might not be the right word, but the question marks at quarterback for Tennessee sure. next year, I think it made a lot of sense for Hyatt to capitalize on the huge year he had now and go cash in in the NFL. Yeah, I wasn't as certain when the season ended that Hyatt was going to you know, opt out of the Orange Bowl. I figured he was going to go to the NFL regardless, but I thought he may give it one more game. But after winning the Blitnikoff, man, the stock is so high on 11 right now. He is just in a great position to be maybe a late round one pick, definitely an early day two pick. So can't risk the injury. He made the correct decision. And of course, going to the NFL draft, it's the correct decision after a historic season. Yeah, I I agree with both of you guys. You know, CBS Sports today had Jalen Hyde as their number six wide receiver in, I guess, on the big board heading into the NFL draft earlier this week. Pro Football Network had a gigantic uh, uh, mock draft for the NFL and Hyde ended up as a second round draft pick. He, He went Oh, uh, looks like number twenty-five in the second round to the Chicago Bears. Which, if that ever came to fruition, wow, what a what a situation that would be! Chicago taking back-to-back Tennessee wide receivers. But either way, I, I agree with you guys, and I, I think that you know ultimately you don't want to look at these things in the lens of a hypothetical, right? But I think sometimes 
you kind of have to. And if you're Jalen Hyatt, at least if I was Jalen Hyatt, I might look to my right and see Cedric Tillman, right, and all the injuries that he battled last year and how, you know, maybe that's kind of affected his stock a little bit. I would look to my left, and I would see Hendon Hooker, right, and just the ability to have a freak injury come out of nowhere and, and be a little bit of a setback in this journey that you have. Jack, like you were saying, I, I think that Jalen Hyatt's stock has never been higher throughout his college career. He can obviously take that Blitnikoff award into the uh, in, in, to the NFL draft and into all these conversations with him. So, to me, I, I'm with you guys, right? Maybe the bowl game was up in the air, but I certainly felt like at the end of the day this was going to be him entering the NBA draft. I, NFL, <laughs> excuse me. Yes. and Maybe he could be a guard. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe yeah. He's got some skills. He's got speed. Uh, yeah. Sky's the limit. Yeah, I'm going back to kind of the point of him playing in the Orange Bowl or not, it, and I don't have his direct quote in front of me, but when he had his – press conference or Zoom conference after winning the Blitnikoff, the way he talked about it, it kind of seemed like a either or. If he stays, he's going to play. If he goes pro, he's gotcha. not going to play. Like That's kind of how, to me, he talked about it with the language. And uh, Certainly, I think there would have been benefits to Hyatt coming back for another year. I think he could have improved his stock. I think doing what he did, even if it's not at the same scale. Another 1,000-yard season with a new quarterback that's probably not going to be as good as Hooker and just kind of the uh, stability, I guess, or or the ability to do that two years in a row I think would have made him a no-doubt first-round pick, but the risk that came with that probably weren't weren't worth it, especially given the fact that you don't have the same quarterback. Right, yeah, and that's been my argument for Jalen Hyatt staying, if there was one, is that, yeah, next year you can do it with a different quarterback and you're in the same kind of offense. Nothing's really changed. Um, and if you have another season like that, outside of, you know, th- as far as the offense goes and Josh yeah. Heupel, yeah. So if you go out and have another season like you just did, you're a top 10 pick because yeah. – the receiver market is really good for NFL teams right now. They're no longer taking running backs in the top 15 selections. We saw, what, six receivers go in the top 16 picks yeah, yeah. in the 2022 draft. So if Hyatt stayed and he had another year like this one, yeah, he's going to be making a lot more money. But, like you said, you could get hurt. You could have a down season with Joe Milton at quarterback. So you got to go now. Uh, yeah. I do think what would have been, and this is – we won't linger on it much because it's purely hypothetical. But if he had come back, I'd have been really curious to see how Tennessee used him. I mean, it was almost solely in the slot this season. I think with Squirrel White, you know, being probably one of Tennessee's more talented receivers next year, you would have seen Hyatt play out wide some more, and I think that potentially also could have helped uh, his draft stock because I think, in part, of that's just the way the Tennessee system is run because it's while it's complicated, it's also simple in a lot of the route trees. I think uh, showing a more diverse skill set could have helped him, but again. It's all risk-reward in this type of stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, the Hyatt, Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt, the Hyatt family, uh, they believe the the risk wasn't worth uh, what the award would have been. Yeah, for sure. So Jalen Hyatt, a three-year career here in Knoxville and really broke out like wildfire during the 2022 season. And, you know, again, like we talked about earlier, this was a this was a situation where Tennessee's top receiver heading into the year, Cedric Tillman, did not end up playing for the majority of it, right? These teams had the ability to lock in on Jalen Hyatt uh, and Brew McCoy as well. Obviously, Tennessee had plenty of production with Ramel Keaton right there as well, but this was an opportunity where these teams had the ability to lock in on Hyatt, and he only continued to excel throughout the season. Obviously, that 11-touchdown stretch over four games that also, that included number 25 LSU, number 3 Alabama, and the number 19 Kentucky on the back end. That was major. Jalen Hyatt sets the Tennessee single-season touchdown record with 15. He passes Marcus Nash at number 2 with 13. Then Jalen Hyatt also sets the single-game 
Uh, Tennessee receiving touchdown record with those five touchdown receptions against Alabama. He passes Jim Powell and Carl Pickens. Actually, there's a whole slew of guys at number three. I can't I can't list them all. Some notable names, though. Cedric Tillman did it in 2021 against Purdue. Uh, Justin Hunter, Zach Rogers, uh, Dante Stallworth, Cedric Wilson, Marcus Nash, a lot of guys. So Jalen Hyatt does set that record, though, at number five. Certainly a very, very memorable final season in Knoxville. Certainly, and I think you look at Tillman, who's uh, even less uh, surprisingly off to the NFL. He has one more year because of the COVID, but that was never a question uh, whether he was yeah. going to come back or not. And I think you look at those two guys, and it probably is a little bit of an unfair statement uh, to Valus Jones Jr., but I think Hyatt and Tillman will be remembered as the kind of the first great receivers for Tennessee again uh, with Josh Heupel and, and the guys that – Kind of, uh, we'll see what they do in the NFL because that'll give them a big chance to truly submit in this. But uh, kind of bring the the wide receiver you vibes or uh, talk discussion back to Tennessee because it had been a while, and certainly a lot, a lot of programs in the past decade had passed Tennessee in that regard. And, and Tennessee's passing game was really at its lowest point in a long, long, long time uh, when Josh Heupel got here in 2021. Yeah, well, I mean, let's take that and let's kind of combine it and wrap it up and, and talk about this Orange Bowl, right, Tennessee? In just what is this going to be? Sixteen days, so just over two weeks away. Uh, yeah, it's good. that's on a on a Friday night. Uh, they're not going to have Jalen Hyatt. They're not going to have Cedric Tillman. So it looks like the receiving core is going to be what? Ramel Keaton, Brew McCoy, and a Squirrel White, like you were talking about a second ago. Is that kind of the yeah. consensus around the table? Definitely so. I mean, those are the main three guys. Or really, the only other three guys yeah, that I was have say, played. Callaway and Holiday have entered the portal, and that's right. Yeah, yeah. So Maybe I you think... see a little Walker Merrill. He he's jumped in a couple right. reps throughout the season. Yeah, Walker Merrill will probably be the fourth guy who I can imagine playing a, a decent bit, and then I think it'll be an opportunity for some of the freshman receivers not named Squirrel White who played very very limited roles this season, and they won't see big roles in the Orange Bowl. But uh, you know, one of Tennessee doesn't receive or doesn't. Uh, sub in and out receivers a whole lot, but when they do, it's a lot of times incomplete deep balls. So you'll, I think, have a chance for a couple of those guys to get uh, one or two, you know, a few reps, and certainly in big games, which they haven't to this point in their career at all. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Squirrel White fits in as a guy who's going to play a lot of snaps because we've seen him sure. have a role in multiple games, but have we, if we've seen him have a big, big role, we haven't. So this will be the first game with that and Brew and Ramel on the outside. It'll, it'll be fun to see these, this trio. Yeah, I, I think so, especially Brew because, you know, we'll see what Tennessee does in the transfer portal and we'll see how much Squirrel White can develop into a second year. But it seems like Brew McCoy is going to come back for one more season and he's going to be the number one guy going into the year. And I think – for him, when he starts to build his NFL draft stock going into what I guess would be the 2024 NFL draft, I think he's got a chance to kickstart that uh, in the Orange Bowl, being the number one Tennessee receiver and uh, against a really talented Clemson defense uh, to kind of make a statement and show that he can step up and fill the role that Tennessee's losing with really specifically Tillman because those guys kind of play have a similar play style. Yeah, and I think with the Vanderbilt game as well, you saw that connection between um, between Milton and Squirrel, right? And you saw them wanting to go together. It seemed like they were fairly comfortable together. Now, he, he did lead Tennessee in reception, uh, receptions that game with four. Granted, Keaton and Hyatt had three apiece, so it wasn't like it was too drastic. And also, Tennessee didn't need to throw the ball that much no. in that in that rainy game. But again, you could tell that there was familiarity with that connection. If you want to go back and you want to look at the full, what is this, career numbers career for numbers, both yeah. Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman during their times at Tennessee. You can go check that out in a great article over at RockyTopInsider.com.
And I, I was going to say, I think Hyatt and Tillman will stick with everybody more because you didn't really see it coming like this. Yeah. Like, if you fly, uh, sure. rewind back to 2021, you know, people are like, okay, Cedric Tillman, he could make an impact this year. Valus is going to be the top the top guy. You got Javante Payton coming from Mississippi State. But then Cedric Tillman breaks out over 1,000 yards. Great season. And then this year, okay, Tillman's the guy. We got Brew coming in. And then Jalen Hyatt, could he – you know, take that leap, and then he did, and he was the best receiver in college football. So, yeah, that's due the, to that's the fact the that they were thing. kind of. It was kind of a surprise factor. I think that'll make people remember their seasons more. I think you're right, and the fact that they both seem to play their best in big games. Uh, you go back to 2021. Tillman had really huge numbers uh, against Georgia, against Alabama. Those games were obviously the losses. The Purdue game, I think, sticks with a lot of people too, where he was just dominant, dominant. And if Hendon Hooker had a good day. Tennessee wouldn't have lost, and Tillman might have been close to chasing down Jalen Hyatt's five touchdowns. Um, but and then Hyatt this year, obviously, he doesn't. You mentioned him earlier that three game stretch he had against LSU, Alabama, and Kentucky, where he was absolutely dominant. Obviously, Kentucky didn't end up being a top twenty five team like they were at that point. Um, but what he did uh, against LSU, and then obviously particularly Alabama, will, will not be forgotten for a really really long time in these parts. You know, before we move into a little bit of recruiting talk, because, of course, that is a a huge conversation around this time of the year, I want to stick with the Orange Bowl for just one more quick minute. Again, we've been talking about how Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman will not be playing. They have both opted out of the Orange Bowl. A couple of Clemson players as well, a couple of uh, uh, important defensive players for Clemson on that big, stout defensive line, they have already announced as well that they will not be playing in. Ryan, who, who, are, who are those two players? Yeah, so defensive lineman Miles Murphy, who is a projected really top 10 pick, I think, in the NFL draft this year, uh, is tied for the lead with, I believe, seven sacks on the year for Clemson. He uh, opted out of the Orange Bowl, and then uh, linebacker Trenton Simpson, who I think is about a fringe first-round pick, um, he... I don't know if you'd call it an opt-out or not. Uh, he got a little banged up in the ACC championship game, but he is going to the NFL draft, and he is not playing uh, in the Tennessee game for down in Miami. So uh, I think when you look at Clemson, the most impressive part is the front seven, particularly the defensive line, and those are two guys that have been very, very influential. Um, I'm not even sure I would call it. Murphy's probably the best guy of that bunch, but that front seven is all really, really good. So it, it's, a, it's two guys that may had a huge, huge role in making them really good, but they certainly weren't the only guys either. So it's still going to be a, a big-time challenge for, for Tennessee's offense and, and particularly its offensive line. Yeah, this is going to help tremendously without Miles Murphy for Tennessee's sake. And, yeah, going to ha- maybe have Brian Brzee still out there. There's plenty of mm-hmm. other playmakers on that Clemson front seven. But this is going to lessen the blow that would be that you know daunting front seven. So. You know, even just going back to your point a second ago, Ryan, looking at this Pro Football Network mock draft that I was talking about a second ago, they do have Miles Murphy listed as the number 12 pick going to the Raiders. And if I can just point out a little bit of quality writing, because I do love the Christmas season, they say this, Pro Football Network, not even Kevin McAllister in a house full of booby traps would be able to escape the clutches of this dangerous duo, let alone the quarterbacks (laughs) of the AFC West. Wow, that is pretty good. I love that. And I love any opportunity that I get to say booby traps. <laughs> I also think with Murphy, the thing that could be really could become really important is Darnell Wright is headed towards the NFL. Yeah. He, the, well, he hasn't made any announcements, but he accepted an invitation to the Senior Bowl, which means that his college career is over. Hasn't announced whether he plays is going to play in the Orange Bowl or not. But I'd imagine that's the decision he's still making. That's up in the air. If he doesn't play, I think that's a a big loss for Tennessee won, but I think it's huge that Miles Murphy's not playing because uh, I think that 
gives Tennessee a little bit better chances of scheming uh, and giving some help to those offensive tackles, uh, yeah. which I guess would be Gerald Mincy uh, and Jeremiah Crawford. A little bit of breathing room as well, because you're right. If if Murphy is playing, if some of these, you know, maybe the other guy's playing for, who's that? Um, Trenton, what? Trenton what Simpson. 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 Okay, thank you. Uh, if either of those were playing, that, that would be a mismatch, right? If, or I guess. You know, if Tennessee was not able to have Darnell Wright there, but you talk about Darnell Wright and, and just how how much of an almost an unsung hero he was throughout the season. This is a guy who did not do a lot of media interviews. He didn't do any media interviews. He didn't do any <laughs> media not, interviews throughout the yeah. year. Thank you very much. I don't think he did That's any in his whole career that I, <laughs> I that I can remember at I, least. Yeah, I can't either. So so this is a guy that you know you you see him play on Saturdays. You see him hold down the right side of the offensive line, but you don't really see much otherwise from him. So, But certainly he, he has been, man, he was so, so unbelievably valuable for Tennessee. Do you guys remember, I mean, Will Anderson's yeah. huge game against yeah. Tennessee? Because I don't either. He didn't have one. And a lot of that reason was because of Darnell Wright. So I agree, right? We're still waiting to see what that... Um, what that decision for him, I, I guess, will be for the Orange Bowl. If that even is a decision, I guess we'll wait and see. Uh, but certainly, he, he's a big key to that Tennessee offensive line and look does look like he, he will be out the door either way at the end of bowl season. I think that's a good point you make and one I hadn't really thought about uh, of him being such like a quiet guy and not someone you hear about because, you know, at first I was like, well, outside of the media, that's a lot of offensive linemen. But it really wasn't a lot of offensive linemen on this Tennessee team. I mean, Javante Spragans was very personable. They he were was, vocal throughout the year. Yeah, he was bringing out the the stuffed animals of the team, other teams' mascots uh-huh. every single game. And Gerald Mincy obviously is uh, is a character, and he's going into the well, not going into the stands, but he was signing stuff in the stands. Yeah, he had the uh, flag and the cowboy hat throughout the yeah, thing. and was never shy. I don't think to, to talk to other teams' opponents. Jeremiah Crawford was throwing up and then <laughs> nodding at the Alabama <laughs> defensive line, and then. Even Jerome Carvin, who is as happy as you can be, as happy as you can be, and just a guy that loves life, right? Isn't exactly. going to make a lot of sound bites talking to the media, and we talk to him about every week. Yes, in the games, I mean, he was a different guy, and you saw that personality a lot. You saw him trash talking with Henry Toa Toa. You saw him uh, kind of, mo- I guess, that was Princeton fan that was mocking Henry Toa Toa's celebration after the game. But uh, a lot of those guys, you saw a lot of personality. Who did he did he headbutt somebody, or did somebody headbutt him? I think he had. I think butted. he headbutted. Oh, yeah, who was that? Mincy. Mincy. And Mincy right. was wearing the helmet, and he was not. I think no, it was the other no, way. No, it was around. the other You're way right. around. Car- Jerome yeah, was Baker. wearing the helmet. <laughs> yeah, that's Baker. <laughs> that's Baker. <laughs> Jerome Carver was wearing game. the helmet, and he smacks Mincy, and then he and then he goes, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. You're right, though, but Tennessee's offensive line has had plenty of personality. Even Cooper Mays, you know, somebody who we've seen plenty of the Mays brothers over the last couple of years. So Darnell Wright, kind of the, the the quiet piece to that offensive line, but boy, was he not quiet on the field. He, he was so unbelievably important. Yeah, and probably the, well, I think the best offensive lineman and the most important offensive lineman, the way he was able uh, to take away uh, the right side uh, of, or I guess the left side of defensive lines uh, and he made he just made a lot of growth. I think after his first two years, it was easy to say you know this was a guy that was a top five recruit nationally. That he was a bust. He you know wasn't very good. But I think you look at it, he wasn't an early enrollee his freshman year, and mm-hmm. he was thrown into the weeds right away. His sophomore year, you know, was the COVID off season. He showed up 
in July, 35 pounds overweight. He didn't have an offseason in a weight room. We're talking about a guy from small town West Virginia. It wasn't like he was playing at IMG Academy. Sure. And then you saw him get better in his junior year in 2021, and then I think you saw the culmination this year of him fully develop into what people expected out of high school, and they didn't give up a single sack, earned first-team All-SEC honors, and a guy that I think kind of like Hyatt, We'll have a chance to maybe work his way in to the first round, probably less likely than Hyatt, but uh, I think certainly will be a first two-round pick. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well, to keep going back to this this mock draft that I'm talking about. And we do have it written on uh, RocketTapInsider.com, but Darnell Wright is listed, at least from this one, as the first Tennessee player to go off the board, number 38 overall, which is the sixth pick of the second round. And I might as well just go ahead and list the four players in the second round for Tennessee because I keep coming back to this. So they have uh, Darnell Wright at 38th overall to the Arizona Cardinals. They have Hinden Hooker. Next, at number wow. 53 overall, and that is going to the Seattle Seahawks. Then they have Jalen Hyatt at number 56 to the Bears, and then Cedric Tillman at number 60. And how crazy would this be to the Kansas City Chiefs? Wow. That would be, that to me, like if I was a receiver, there's no better landing spot I would want to go to in the league than being able to play with Patrick Mahomes, being able to play with that Andy Reid offense. And, hey, they got Trey Smith right there on the offensive line, who is pancaking people these days who absolutely obliterated a dude last week that was a wild video that was two guys in the same play it was it's one of the most impressive plays i've seen this season it was yeah i think that one of the tweets from someone who's a lot smarter than me talking about football he said it perfectly this is this is how as an offensive lineman this is how you block a screenplay and he he was incredible and it takes a lot. It takes a lot of multiple factors to be, as an offensive lineman, to be the lead of our VFLs in the NFL a report each week. And he got some help. There was a lot of guys on bye week, and there weren't a whole lot of other big performances. Yeah. But that block and another really good performance by Trey Smith was, was enough to do that this week. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, so like we said a second ago, let's move over into some of the recruiting conversations. And, and you look around Twitter and you see a lot of recruiting activity going on. You see Josh Heupel and, and some of these assistant coaches making their rounds to go either visit visit uh, targets to go visit players who have already committed. I, I think I just on the way here, I think I saw Vice and Lang uh, with with Coach Heupel and maybe it was Coach Ellerby. I think it was Gar- Rodney Garner. Because ah, I right. remember thinking it was strange that he's an offensive line commit. Yes. It made Rodney me think Garner. maybe there's some thoughts of playing him on the defensive line. Yeah, right. I did too. So there, there are certainly Interesting to lots know, of, uh, yes it is. There are certainly lots of Different kind of pictures and stuff you can go look at. By the way, Josh Heupel continues to have good shoes in, in these recruiting uh, pictures. I love those Nikes. But, Ryan, today was a big, big day in terms of Tennessee recruiting. Go ahead and tell us about one of the in-state prospects that Tennessee landed. There's very few prospects you'll see really in football, basketball, any sport, but especially football, blow up in the last few months of the recruitment the way Arian Carter from Smyrna High School and Rutherford County did this year. He was – a three-star recruit going into the season. He was committed to Memphis. He was a solid prospect, but not someone with a lot of SEC offers. And he had a dominant season, a season that earned him uh, Mr. Football Honors and the highest classification, 6A of TSSAA, uh, just a massive year. And with that came a lot more interest. And Tennessee was one of the first ones. He, he visited Tennessee for uh, the Florida game back in September and then also visited Alabama and Ohio State before eventually in November backing off his pledge to Memphis. And it kind of became those three teams down the stretch, uh, particularly Tennessee and Alabama. He got back and visited both of them uh, in the month of December. And then I think for a long time in the fall, it felt like Alabama was going to be the choice, or at least that Alabama had momentum in the recruitment. But Tennessee ends up winning out for him uh, and 
again, I think a really, really impressive win. I mean, if there's Nico is going to get all the talk in this class, and rightfully so. Quarterback's the most important position. He's the number two player in the country. That matters a ton. But mm-hmm. I think uh, I talked about it a little bit with Davian Hobbs. If I'm a Tennessee fan, what's going to what gives me the most confidence that Josh Heupel can recruit at a really high level? To me, it's what he did to get Davian Hobbs, and then it's again what he did uh, to kind of come get. Arian Carter, uh, I don't know if I'd say right at the last minute over Alabama, but that make a late push to get him yeah. and kind of flip the the momentum in that recruitment. And, Put the clamps on. Yeah, and it's a really big win. Uh, he's a, a big, big-time recruit, number 159 player in the country, number two player in the state of Tennessee, and, and that gives Duvall's the top two players in the state of Tennessee as he goes a lo- is coming to Knoxville with a fellow Rutherford County native and Riverdale High School standout, Caleb Herring. Yeah, this is a great land for Tennessee. Ryan, you hit the nail on the head. Um, and the linebacker get, too. This is a position that Tennessee has struggled yes. in over the That's past couple the of years. Point. And now if you look in this 23 class, they got a couple of dudes at the linebacker position coming in, going to Jalen Smith and others. So this is, a, this is a, you know, things are trending up for that position for Tennessee, and this is one of the best gets of the entire cycle. I agree. I think that Jalen Smith get is, is very talented. And- yeah. T probably Leonard better than a, others too. So yeah, yeah probably better yeah. than a three star that he's ranked as. Although I'm not necessarily a recruiting expert, but that's at least my take on it. Certainly, uh, Arian Carter comes in as the eighth highest ranked player in Tennessee's class, which is a is shaping up to be a top ten class. So hey, you fall number eight in a top ten class, and you're a pretty darn good prospect. Uh, certainly, and I think I'm right with you with Jalen Smith. To me, he's the most underrated guy in Tennessee's class, and I'm not a talent. Uh, and now analyzer what's the word? evaluator I guess is the word I'm looking for I don't know if he should be a three-star or he should be a four-star but he plays at the highest level of Georgia football and that's one of the best classifications and he makes a ton a ton a ton of tackles and uh, is really really athletic so I think that's a great get and I think when you start looking at what Elijah Herring uh, Caleb Herring's older brother uh, inside linebacker gave Tennessee this year it wasn't a massive role but I think he played more than anyone expected and played pretty well when yeah. he did uh, and you start looking at the guys Tennessee's bringing in in this class, I think 2023 next season would be a little too early to start thinking that Tennessee's linebacker room should be you know real good. But I think when you start looking towards 2024 and two years, I think there's a lot to believe that Tennessee can, by then, uh, the defense could really have kind of come into its own and not be the liability that it's been the last two years. Yeah, and I think it's important that you look at Tennessee's class right now, 25 hard commits to the to, to the 2023 class. Three out of your top four players are, are defensive guys. A couple of edge rushers uh, and, and Chandavian Bradley and Caleb Herring and, and Davian Hobbs. And then right there at the top, you have your quarterback. I, I think that is the exact class that, that Tennessee going into year three wants to have, right? You are bolstering the defense with very, very talented players who hopefully for Tennessee will be able to start to make some sort of immediate impact like you like you talked about a second ago. We saw guys like Josh Jacobs, right, make that yeah. make that impact this year. So three of them are going to be strong guys on the line, and then of course you have your quarterback for the future. At least at Tennessee certainly hopes that Nico is, and, and Nico also got a big bump in the latest two four seven rankings going up. Actually, maybe I shouldn't say big bump. Uh, <laughs> Percentage wise, it's a big bump. There you go. I, I th- what did I write today? I think I wrote like, when you're already in the top three, you're not going to be drastically moving, yes. but any kind of movement is significant. And, and Nico Iamaliaba does jump up to the number two player uh, in the class, right behind Arch Manning. So that to me, that top four, uh, a lot of talents in that class, but that top four, that's what. I think exactly what Tennessee wants heading into year three, and I think that's what's most productive for them heading into year three as well. 
jumped Dante Moore, right? Is that who he jumped? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Oregon. Oregon commit yeah. from what Detroit, I think. Yeah, I think he's from yeah. And he may dude, there's talks yeah. he may flip to UCLA. Did you see the pictures with Chip Kelly on no, Twitter? No, I haven't stuff? seen those. It's an interesting conversation uh deal with him. But yeah. So Nico going up to number two. I mean, you know, this guy, the hype is gonna be insane for him coming to Rock Top. It's not already already. Yeah. No, it is, and it'll be Rocket Top Insider will be uh, full of Nico content when the, uh, well, maybe not when he gets here uh, in a few weeks, but when he when spring practice begins, uh, I'm sure there will be tons of interest and we'll have uh, tons, tons of content on him for everybody yeah. to look at. Hey, speaking of as well, if you want to go watch some of those highlights, you can head over to the Rocket Top Insider YouTube channel. Hey, Nico Iamaliava was in Knoxville earlier this year. We were there as well, and we have all those highlights up on YouTube as well. But, guys, that's a lot of football conversation right there. I think we pretty much hit all the topics out there. Anything left on the radar that anyone wants to throw out? We're moving to a little bit of basketball conversation next. Nothing left for me. Yeah, for there not to be a game, that's a lot of football talk, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, no, hey, I think we covered it. I, I love this time of the year, right? Obviously, you're coming off of the adrenaline, the high of the football season. You're moving into recruiting. You're talking about what the future is going to look like. A lot of college football teams. But one thing that I do want to also do to, to close out our, our football conversation right here, even though it might not be Tennessee-related, man, is you know acknowledge the passing of – Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach. That uh, was an unbelievably sad story that came down on Tuesday morning as uh, Mike Leach had been battling that that health scare all, all weekend long. And one of I, I felt like one of the most remarkable things was just to see the college football world rally together. I, you saw people from every different corner of the sport, whether it be a coach, whether it be a player, whether it be a reporter, or whether it be a fan just somewhere else. Everybody was bringing out great and memorable stories to the table. You could tell that just Mike Leach was such a beloved person in the college football community, and it has been a sad, sad week without him in it. He he was everything that's great about college football. Yeah. He was unique. He was characteristic. He was fun. And in a world where most college coaches are the opposite of fun, he was extremely fun and extremely entertaining. And, uh, you know, I – one of my first, you know, memories of college football, or maybe not first memories, but one of those games that I remember growing up that I love and I still talk about with my friends all the time was Texas Tech's win over Texas in 2008. The Graham Harold and Michael Crabtree uh, yeah. passed with one second left. and Sideline, right? Yeah, right down the, the sideline, kind of a comeback mm-hmm. route. And certainly uh, what Leach did at three different stops, and, and certainly Texas Tech and Washington State, he really took both of those programs to, to unparalleled heights, was super, super cool. And then I think – it's just been cool, especially for people like us in this business, to see how many how many people kind of our age, younger people uh, that have covered his teams at Washington State or at Mississippi State, the stories that they told of how willing he was to always help them with anything and how always accessible, answer, all, so accessible, always answering the phone, uh, always willing to have a conversation, always willing to talk about anything. It, it I think it shows a lot about the the character of Mike Leach and, and certainly a guy that will be really really missed in the sport. Yeah, it's been incredible to see former players, you know, college football media, just everybody rally around and tell their stories about Mike Leach and how great they all were. And of course, Ryan, you mentioned he's one of the most fun guys, or was one of the most fun guys in college football. All these awesome interviews, awesome sound bites, the media's dream. He was. Yeah. And then, you know, even like that Alyssa Lang interview, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but about the marriage and she's yeah. talking about, you know, planning her wedding. And he's taking the, <laughs> after a game, he's taking his time out to actually talk through and give her his advice. So, yeah, he was just a, a special person in college football, and he'll be dearly missed. In 1999, Mike Leach joined the Oklahoma staff, which at the time was led by Bob Stoops as the offensive coordinator. He was only going to be there one year, but in that one year, though, it also happened to be the first year that one future Tennessee head coach, 
Josh Heupel would transfer into the Sooners program and take over as the starting quarterback uh, under the under the offensive scheme of Mike Leach, Josh Heupel threw for over 3,400 yards in that first year and obviously set them up, set up the Sooners program for a national championship run that very next year under Heupel. So you do have a Tennessee connection. Josh Heupel uh, said that, man, he was heartbroken about this news. Obviously, those guys have shared plenty of history together. Ryan, on your Twitter account, you, you I think, quote tweeted a, a great video of the two talking together at a, at a practice in 1999, which is video that we don't get too often. But there's a great Tennessee connection to this uh, to this tragic story as well, but absolutely, just wanted to go ahead and acknowledge uh, our thoughts and our passing, our thoughts on the passing of Mike Leach. And it was no, you know, it was no coincidence that Mike Leach and Josh Heupel got there at the same time. It, Mike Leach was installing his system that had given it was Bob Stoops' first year too that had given uh, uh, Bob Stoops all sorts of trouble in the SEC when he was defense coordinator at Florida, and Leach was at Kentucky, and he said, "We need to go get a quarterback that we can bring in." immediately an early enrollee and a lot of people on that Oklahoma staff I read about this week that were not very convinced on junior college quarterback Josh Heupel it was Leach who really stuck his neck out and said no this wow. is the guy we want to bring in I think he'll be really good in our, our system and certainly it worked out really well for Leach it got him his first head coaching job certainly it worked out really well for Josh Heupel it got him playing big time college football and certainly it worked out really really good for Oklahoma who won the national championship <laughs> two years later yeah it certainly did well we will go ahead and uh, and wrap up this first part of the segment or this first part of the podcast with that man Mike Leach thank you for everything you did for this sport uh, and we can't wait to continue telling stories about everything you did in this sport for a long long time to come don't go anywhere we got a little bit of Tennessee basketball conversation right on the other side we'll be right back and now back to the show all right, so, Ryan, you just got back from New York with the Tennessee basketball team. Obviously, the Hall of Fame Invitational up there in Brooklyn, the Barclays Center, right? Did you yep. see Kevin Durant? Oh, I saw Kevin Durant on Friday night. Uh, I went to— Wait uh, a minute, what? I went to, Well, I went to the Hawks-Nets game, so oh. I, I saw him from the <laughs> upper—I watched him drop 30-plus. Uh, Jack, uh, I thought he was about to big-wig us. Yeah, I, I thought know. he was about I to was say, like, you well, know, how have we not heard this yet? about the yeah. hotel. You know, we hung out for a bit. Kevin Durant. <laughs> No, they were. I think they were back in action Saturday or Sunday, so they were on the road uh, pretty quickly afterwards. But uh, uh, only thing I would say, my Kevin Durant takeaways, besides it being a lot of fun to watch him play basketball in person, was upper deck. The hair's not looking good. Aww. He needs. <laughs> he needs to go to to get some implants, get that thing shored up because it is an ugly, ugly view of the top of his head from wow. the, from the upper deck of the Barclays Center. Wow. Okay. I don't Good think Kevin Durant's going to want to hang out with Ryan after that. <laughs> I don't think he is either. I think maybe, he, maybe in the last time. You're right. You're right. You just blew your chance to, to ever hang out with Kevin Durant again. He, he's an avid listener of this show, which we're glad everybody Noted else listener. is as well. Yeah. But, you know, Kevin Durant's our favorite listener of the show. So, anyways, Ryan, it was not the prettiest game for for Tennessee. It was an interesting first half where Tennessee really built up a, a, a little bit of a pretty good lead, if I remember correctly, 34-17 at half. Yeah, 34-17. And were... just the defense was phenomenal. Maryland was really struggling to the shot. Then the second half comes around. Tell me about this game a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I think you look at the first half, it, Tennessee being up by 17 is probably an easy thing to say, but well, that was the best Tennessee's played all year and a half, and what to me, what really stood out about it is that they easily should have been up 45-17, or yeah. at least they should have had 45 yeah. points. They missed a lot of easy shots around the rim. Yep. They missed a lot of free throws. Uh, but the shot selection, or, or the shot, the attempts that Tennessee was getting in the first half was really, really good. And the way they just dominated the offensive glass against what's a really good rebounding Maryland team was extremely impressive, and to me, even surprising. So uh, that was the story of the first half. Second half, 
It really flipped. Maryland started getting a lot better looks. They shot 50% from the field, scored 36 points in the second half. Tennessee just scores 22. Uh, but more than anything, it was the shots that Tennessee was getting at the rim in the first half. They did not get in the second half. It wasn't like Tennessee just kept missing easy shots. They did not get a lot of good shots in, in the second half. But I think uh, what was impressive is that by about the five-minute mark, the lead had it hadn't completely evaporated, but it was pretty low. It, it was yeah. down to about three points, and it was anybody's game for five minutes. And I think when you look at the second half, it's easy just to say, well, Tennessee just collapsed and they hung on for dear life. Well, they had to h- hang on in a close game for the final five minutes. In, in the final five minutes, it could have gone either way, even though they never uh, relinquished the lead. And, and I thought uh, they played good defense. They rebounded particularly well, and they found a way to get enough baskets. Big, big shots. Tyreek Key. Uh, Zakai Ziegler and Jemai Meshack all hit really big threes that yeah, kind of massive. propped up the offense. And uh, they could have shot better at the free throw line again down the stretch. That made things more interesting than it should have been. It allowed Maryland to get a three point attempt off the, the buzzer that would have tied the game and forced overtime. Uh, but at the same time, I thought Tennessee handled the pressure there well at the end of the game. And what Zakai Ziegler did, um, taking care of the basketball. He's been a little sloppy with the ball at times this year against full court press. Well, Maryland runs the full-court press the whole game, but Maryland couldn't make baskets in the first half, so they could never get set in their full-court press in the second half when they did. Ziegler did a really good job of taking care of the ball. And even though Tennessee wasn't very good offensively, it was longer possessions, they weren't turning it over, and they, they weren't giving Maryland uh, the pick sixes that Rick Barnes likes to refu- refer to, the turnovers that go go for layups or dunks the other side. Ryan, I don't know about you, but I've been blown away by Jemai Meshack this season. I know Rick Barnes sung his praise in the offseason, said he was potentially you know the most improved player from last year, but, you know, coming up big in a game like this on the road, you know, Hall of Fame Invitational, making a three like that, like, just what have you seen from Meshack this year that is so much different than what he was? I think it's confidence on the offensive end more than anything. I mean, you looked at him last year, and he caught the ball open on the three-point line. He wasn't going to shoot it. And I don't think that was necessarily horrible thought by him he wasn't a very good shooter but he was a very similar to Devontae Gaines you know Devontae Gaines transferred after the 2019-20 season and Jemai Meshack as a freshman to me was Devontae Gaines he could bring a spark defensively but he was going to be a liability offensively and if you really had to rely on him it wasn't it wasn't going to be a good thing and this year he's made himself a competent offensive player and I think making that shot like he did uh, against Maryland probably is going to go a long way to continue building that confidence and then I think what he did on the defensive end last year is still there and probably even is even a greater role this year and that's what gets him on the court but the fact that he's still a threat offensively averaging six points per game really all the good teams since he's played this year he's at least been uh, an offensive factor not that he's a star but he's a guy that you got to defend that can get to the basket and score and in a Tennessee offense where there's not a ton of guys that can get to the basket to score I think he's he's carved out a niche for himself on the offensive side of the ball where his niche on the court really is the defense side of the ball. You know, we we started the podcast today by talking about Jalen Hyatt, right, and the drastic jump that he made from year two to year three, and I think that you could really tell going back to those initial conversations that we were having with him in August and September, and he put in the work over the over the offseason and really found the places that he needed to improve his game. Jemaish Meshack reminds me of, of the same kind of uh, offseason turnaround, right, that you can tell that he has – he has singled out direct points of his game that he knew needed to be improved, that the team knew needed to be improved, and I think you are starting to see just the culmination of a lot of that hard work throughout the offseason. Ryan, you actually talked to uh, Jemai Meshack today, which is Wednesday, is that correct? Yeah, I did. Uh, first story that I'll have on him probably around, the new, around the new Year's. Terrific. Yeah, so uh, plenty of good stuff there, a lot kind of, kind of going into his mindset and a lot of him talking about 
the challenges of knowing you're not the best offense player on the team, knowing you're not the guy that the offense needs to run through, but not being what we said, not being a liability, not being a guy other teams have to defend. And it, it's an ongoing process for him. He talked about that, but a lot of interesting stuff and, and should hopefully make for a good story. Yeah, I cannot wait to hear that. And then we will, uh, guys, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast by just going doing a little bit of a preview for this Saturday's upcoming game. We will obviously not have a podcast between now and then. So here we go, another top 10 matchup for Tennessee uh, as they go and travel on, travel to take on number nine Arizona in Tucson, that'll be this coming Saturday night. It's gonna be a late one. Make sure to uh, yeah. have some caffeine or have some coffee. It's gonna be at ten thirty p.m. Eastern time. But man, this is a very talented Arizona team. Obviously, you look back at last year; that was one of Tennessee's marquee wins to get that season started, taking down uh, uh, taking down the Wildcats in Thompson Bowling Arena. What was an electric. Thompson Bowling Arena as well. I think that this is certainly going to be a game that Arizona wants a little bit of revenge on. Man, they're good enough to take that, especially at their own place. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's an Arizona team that's number nine uh, in the AP poll, but I think is probably even better than that. Uh, really, really talented team. A lot of the main guys back from last year, they lose Benedict Matherin, who, who's off to the NBA and on the Indiana Pacers having a good year, who was their best scorer. Oh, he was talking smack to LeBron the other day. I he was. a random like bleacher report thing. Well, he said he said that going into a game with the Lakers, he said LeBron's going to have to prove that he was better than me. Yeah. And he outplayed LeBron in the game. I, I yeah. don't think he said, you know, had any trash talk after or anything like that, but uh, certainly interesting. And I think what the obvious uh, headline, the obvious narrative of this game, it's number one defense in the country in Tennessee versus number one offense in the country in Arizona. Uh, so it's going to be a really, really big challenge for Tennessee's defense, and I think it certainly will be interesting to see how much the offense can bring to in a game where they will be dependent on to do a little bit more and in a game that's on the road. Those typically are uh, – you see less offense or at least less shooting success in those games. And then also the Jemai Meshack angle, uh, California kid, his ah. uh, brother played football at Arizona. So there is a uh, – Jemai Meshack tied to Arizona as well. The Meshack family. The Meshack family, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this matchup, guys. Um, Arizona's a fun team. As you said, They, they their offense is really good, and they have a, a great duo of bigs with um, Ballo and um, what's, what's the other guy's name? Carbellis. Carbellis, yeah, I keep forgetting that. I don't know why. It's a, it's a tough but, one to but hang yeah, on to. A tough matchup on the road like, uh, on the West Coast. Um, I got to say I'm a little less confident about Tennessee's chances going into this one than I was with Maryland. But should be a fun, a fun and close game nonetheless. I think that's wire to wire. yeah. I think that's why it was so big that they got the Maryland win. Right. I mean Tennessee, I think really still would have been on schedule and on track if they could have split those two games. And, and certainly, I think Arizona is better than Maryland one and two. It's on the road, so it's going to be a harder game. And I think that made it huge that Tennessee uh, got it done in Brooklyn on Sunday. Again, that game is coming up Saturday night, ten thirty p.m. Eastern time. Make sure you are locked into Rocky Top Insider as we will have you covered. Throughout the game, we will have you covered throughout the week leading into it. Whether that's on the basketball front or the football front, we will have you covered. As always, you can go and follow all the different social media Rocky Top Insider outlets that we have. We are on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. So make sure you're going and following Rocky Top Insider there. We have Ryan Shumpert on Twitter. That is at rshump00. We have Jack Foster on Twitter. That is at Jack Foster Media. And then, of course, if you would like to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. But make sure you are checking out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day, guys. That is where our, all of our Tennessee news notes and content are going to each and every day. By the way, let me say this as well. If you're listening to this point in the podcast, man, thanks so much for hanging out with us today, or really whenever you're listening to this, but here's what we'd like from you. We would like for you to go and leave us a five-star recruit rating 
right there wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple, whether it's something else. We would love that five-star recruit rating, and hey, we'd love to, for you to leave us a comment or leave us any kind of feedback to the show. We love interacting with the great fans out there as well. Guys, I think that's going to wrap it up, though. How about that? Yeah, we uh, we got to plenty of stuff, and uh, we did. Certainly, I think it's probably going to be continuing through uh, the month of December, maybe a little bit quieter around Christmas, but uh, tons to get to in the football world, and obviously basketball is just uh, that train's getting closer and closer to SEC play. First podcast in the books as a member yeah, of Rock Side Insider. Yeah, yeah. Uh, many more to come, but yeah, it was uh, it was a fun time. Very nice, very nice. Well, welcome to the show, my friend. We are so happy that you're here. Ryan, I'm happy you're here. I'm happy we're <laughs> still trucking along. Thanks, Rick. I'm happy you're here, too. Each other yet? Thank you, thank you. A, a little bit. A little we'll bit. discuss that off air. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm going to go Thanks. and put on my Dallas Cowboys Santa hat once again. I can't wait for the football season. Man, we got so much fun stuff to go along. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. For Jack, for Ryan, I'm Rick. Thanks for listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Podcast. We'll see you back next time.